What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. My guests today are Isaiah Jackson and Alex Fetsky. Isaiah is the author of the book Bitcoin and Black America, and Alex is the founder of the Amber app, an app that allows you to buy Bitcoin and dollar-cost average Bitcoin. And this discussion today is centered around uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and is basically going to be uh, critical of how it's been handled and propagated and promoted um, in mainstream media and in culture at large today. Um, and these sorts of, I'm having this conversation, or I hosted this conversation because it seems like any sort of critical thought, any sort of questioning, any sort of disagreement, any sort of attempt to refine the the issue other than that put forward by this movement in the mainstream media um, has been criticized. The people doing so have been derided. They've been canceled. They've been called racist. And if we are trying to find solutions to the problems we face as individuals and as a, as a society, there's two things we need to do. The first thing is we need to define the problem clearly and address the root problem, not the various symptoms that emerge from it. If we're going to do that, it requires different perspectives, different questions, different angles, different ideas, people to come together and question each other and debate to try to determine what that original root cause is. And that's far easier said than done. It's not always apparent because it is not typically the root cause, as the name suggests, is not surface level. You have to do a bit of digging to understand what it is. The second component is once you've de devised a root cause of a problem, you have to have an equal amount of discussion, critical thought, questioning, testing to determine what the best possible solution would be. And none of that is happening today. In fact, the exact opposite is happening. Any attempts at doing that are being silenced. And I just think not only is that dangerous, but it also is not going to lead to any semblance of a proper long-term solution to this problem. So that's why I wanted to host this conversation. Alex, Zay, and myself have been critical of how all this has went down. I don't think enough of these conversations are being had because I believe people are afraid to speak their mind on these things, afraid to question the dominant narrative. And um, my highest priority, focused obligation has always been to the truth of a matter. That's the only thing I care about. I don't care about sides. I don't care about being right. All I care about is the truth, and we're not going to find out the truth of any matter if certain ideas are de facto not allowed to enter the arena. We have to bring all the ideas and all the perspectives uh, into the arena so that they can do battle there and we can come to the best approximation of truth and then build solutions around that. That's what I give a fuck about. And so if I'm the one that has to host these conversations and be engaged in these conversations so that more of them are happening and more people feel comfortable with, with having them and engaging them, then I'm willing to do that. Anyways, that's enough from me. 
hope you guys enjoy the show. Let's do it. Guys, I wanted to bring you together today because obviously, um, well, there's no shortage of things to discuss in the world. And we're in these, uh, you know, unprecedented times where so much is kicking off and, uh, you know, there's so much emotion being stirred up whether it's due to lockdowns, whether it's due to other movements. And uh, I know we've all, we all have, we're all fairly opinionated, but I like to think we're all also, our highest priority is understanding the truth of a matter and trying to determine the best way to move forward productively. Um, And so, you know, I know Alex, you've been critical of what, you know, kind of the response to the BLM movement. I've expressed some of my criticisms. Zay, you've obviously chimed in 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 various respects. And so I thought it'd be fun just today to, you know, get together and have that conversation that doesn't seem to be able to be had in the media uh, for fears of being canceled or being labeled this or that. And um, so, I, I, you know, and I, of course, I'm always trying to refine my perspective and understand, understand things better. And so I just wanted to have a chat today. So maybe that, you know, uh, Zay, we'll start with you. Just, you know, brief introduction to yourself, Alex, then we'll do you and then we'll get kicked off. So. Oh, yeah. So I'm Isaiah, um, author of Bitcoin and Black America, um, also uh, co-host of The Gentleman of Crypto and, you know, been in the space seven years uh, since 2013 with Bitcoin. And of course, with a lot of the movements going on, I can't wait to discuss uh, why Black Lives Matter is such a shitty organization. Awesome. <laughs> um, my turn or? Yeah, it's you. All right. <laughs> Fucking great. Um, <clears throat> okay. Um, well, uh, how can I say? Outspoken, toxic, misogynist. I- I'm-, I'm trying to think of all the words people call me. Um, asshole. Um, and all of these sorts of categories, which I embrace. Thank you very much. Um, but look, my, my-, my background has mostly been entrepreneurial. Um, all throughout my life, I've built businesses, um, many, many failures, um, some successes, uh, lots of battle scars. Really discovered Bitcoin much later than Zay, I guess. Um, 2016 for me was the was the real genesis. I mean, you know, I was a gold bug in 2011, 2012, 2013. And, you know, obviously Bitcoin came across my radar and I instantly dismissed it. Um, a lot of people know my genesis story. So, you know, um, so since since 2016, I, I like to because I've got a quite a I was very academically strong when I was younger. So I, I digest information very quickly and was good with math and physics and history and all sorts of shit. So coming into Bitcoin, what, what's kept me enthralled is how many how many disciplines or how many areas of interest it touches. And for me, that's really, really powerful. So. I came at it with not only uh, an entrepreneurial mission through Amber, trying to help people accumulate Bitcoin, but more importantly, with a um, with a philosophical mission, because I think at least I have a way of writing um, and potentially a way of speaking that can get across to some people. So I've tried to put that to good use. Um, and on Twitter, I come off a lot more toxic, to say the least. So, um, so yeah, opinionated Bitcoiner entrepreneur that's that's me right and alex i know you've expressed your opinion on the blm movement recently whether it was at uh you know conferences or just on twitter and you've gotten some backlash for it and i think many people who have expressed 
some degree of criticism uh, have have received the same. And you know, my uh, my take on it is, and this applies generally. It doesn't really matter what the issue is today in society. Is that we seem to have you know gone away from prioritizing accuracy and data and truth, and we seem to be acting from almost pure emotion and impulse. And at least that's the way it seems to be framed, that these are the reactions we seem, we seem to be getting. And things aren't put in the proper context. Things aren't given the proper nuance to understand. If we're going to find legitimate solutions to any problem, we have to understand what the actual causes are. And if we don't have those conversations about what the causes are, then we're doomed to not only not finding solutions, but probably creating other problems as well. And so I think, you know, with the with what's happened, first of all, obviously, what happens to anyone who's the victim of police brutality, anyone who's the victim of the abuse of power, black, white, male, female, whatever the fuck, it's horrible. And that is a problem. And we should find solutions to that. It, I mean, to the degree that any group of people as divided by sex, skin color, ideology, uh, social status, whatever, are more victimized by that, th you know, that's bad too. But it's a matter of degree, not a material difference between the two, in my opinion. And so, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to discuss, Zay, maybe you can get us kicked off on this, but there's been so much emotion, there's been so much energy around this movement. And obviously, that's been manifested in peaceful protests, in non-peaceful protests, in riots, etc. And, you know, I'd really... I really wish all this energy could be directed towards attacking the, the root cause. And I know we'll get into this, but imagine if this level of vigor and energy was devoted to what I'm sure we mutually believe is the, you know, would be the most effective lever of a solution in adopting and engaging in Bitcoin. What if all that energy and all that press and all that media were devoted to that? So, Zay, where do you think, you know, you said you disagree with the, the BLM uh, movement. Where do you think this has gone wrong in light of, of, of recent events? Oh, yeah. So Black Lives Matter, the statement is valid. But the organization itself has been co-opted by people who have nothing to do and have no solutions for black people, uh, in my opinion, long term. Uh, if you look at their website, uh, what they believe in, what they're striving for, uh, zero economic uh, pillars to stand on on there. And when the smoke clears, uh, because people have been protesting for years, my grandmother was protesting. There was no economic solution that came about. So they're going to be doing the same thing in the next few years. And, uh, you know, the, the start of Black Lives Matter uh, was funded by George Soros and his people, whoever they are. And who knows exactly what their goal is. Uh, of course, the division that happens uh, and a lot of the riots and protests we've seen in the media, they don't have any nuance because they got to spit something out in four minutes or eight minutes. So they don't really have any nuance in their arguments. So what you're seeing is a mixture of a few things in my opinion. People are angry because economically, I mean, I have money based on, you know, the COVID crisis. Then you have other groups who Antifa or whoever else is out there. Uh, you have uh, peaceful protesters and then you have, you know, a lot of young kids, which I think people fail to realize. You watch a lot of the videos of the, the, the damage and destruction. It's a bunch of 17 year old kids with skateboards almost every time and they don't have anything to do. They're not in school. And the, the recourse for it is, is pretty much non-existent. So I think this movement, um, while 
it does say Black Lives Matter on it is not really a black movement because there is no economic strategy to it. And a lot of the black people that I talk to in my age range and, and younger are focused on the economic side and they're confused. They're like, what is this black? They're not doing anything for us. They haven't really done anything. And in four years, a lot of their leaders, um, it seems like more of a movement for the LGBTQ community than it is for black people. So, which is fine as well, but that's not a solution long-term. And I think we'll get into it economically, how Bitcoin can help. But I think it, our the movement has been co-opted. This is not a black movement. Can I ask you one question about, about that? Just, you know, you started by saying like the sentiment or the statement Black Lives Matter is valid, but the movement has been co-opted or whatever. What in your mind is the benefit of distinguishing um, you know, one group of people based on whatever the, the primary difference between themselves and another group is, what do you think the benefit of distinguishing a problem solely based on a group identity versus a broader problem that affects everyone, albeit to varying degrees? Oh, yeah. Well, it's actually just good marketing. So by saying Black Lives Matter, yeah. If somebody said White Lives Matter, yeah. If somebody said Asian Lives Matter, yeah. Like, okay, these are valid statements, but it's just marketing. They, they marketed to play on the emotions of black people who have for years felt like they've been disenfranchised. And when people get emotional, they break things and yell and scream and then nothing actually gets done. So that is unfortunate. But yeah, it's a statement that is valid, but so are the other ones. So it, it's just good marketing. Yeah, because I feel like it's it's more than likely that if we frame a problem as afflicting one, you know, exclusively one or predominantly one group of people, then the solutions that we focus on and devise will be catered to them. When the problem is broad, it just may impact different groups differently. But if we fix the core problem, we will probably get resolution across groups. Um, Alex, what's uh, what's your take? Yeah, um, I, I was I was writing some notes before we we kicked off and and, and i don't know where to start because i've got so many different notes and so many different angles i want to approach this from um i think the biggest one for me is um where, where i generally have a problem with um with movements that become memes you know whether it was me too before this um black lives matter and before that it was you know lgbt fucking whatever other letter is on there these days, um, whatever it is, um, you know, feminists and, you know, this or that, like we, we, we begin to remove uh, personal agency and responsibility um, and we, we apply protectionism um, as a way to like um, solve the problem for an imaginary collective. Um, and in the process of doing that, we, we weaken the real individuals that you know the collective and society is made up of um and you know like it comes back to this notion of um you know if, if you're trying to build um a society and you're trying to build the constituents i.e., the people of the society you know you, you've got a choice do you, do you build um protection um or do you build strength um you know do, do you want to make society full of soft people um or full of hard people and i know this kind of sounds uh, non-related, but um, but but it is it is it is fundamentally related because as soon as we start to introduce identity politics, we use we use the collective as a way to not only um, hide behind memes and banners that you know 
everyone then can easily co-opt, um, you know, whether it's fucking fake brands like Nike or whoever else is, you know, now all of a sudden going to feed you BLM bullshit every time you open an app um, or whether it's um, people then taking anybody that's outside of that group and in, uh, instantly ascribing to them a set of values that the individuals who may not be, you know, skin color black, for example, or um, gender fucking with a penis um, or whatever, whatever the, the, the outside group is at this point in time, we, we automatically ascribe them values that the individuals that you're pointing at may not even fucking have. And, and that's the kind of stuff that generally, um, that generally makes me angry. Like, you know, I, I kind of said in the article that I wrote, I don't really have a horse in this race. I mean, you know, look at me, I ain't white, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'm, I, I've probably got like Arab blood and, you know, whatever sort of mix in me. Like, I, I don't really give a shit about that stuff. And it's, it's really funny because I grew up in, um, in a, in an area which was really rough, like um, kind of next to the projects. Um, and, you know, I, I grew up with a school full of, um, full of Samoans and Tongans and Islanders um, who all sort of behaved like they were fucking Bloods and Crips and whatever they thought they were. Um, but, you know, and, and people, you know, hung out with their own groups. Like, you know, I hung out with the Lebos, with the Arabs and, you know, with the Italians and all that sort of shit. So we had our little group. We called ourselves, you know, we were the Wogs. And then you had the Skaties who were like the Aussies and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And there was, there was a natural, um, you know, convergence of people who might have had similar cultural or similar, you know, national um, upbringing, you know, they, they were their own fucking race and they hung out together, but we never really, you know, had major problems. Yeah. We had fucking scuffles and then, you know, we'd have fights and, but it was never really, um, you know, there was never really a problem of racism. Like, you know, I used to call my Italian friends spaghettis, you know, call my Greek friends sublakis. I'd call my fucking, um, my Islander friends, you know, uh, what do you call it? Fucking soles or, you know, all sorts of, like, we'd, we'd all call each other names. Now, now these days through the institutionalization of group identity, um, now any kind of word, any kind of phrase, any kind of speech, any kind of, um, you know, opinion becomes demonized because, um, you know, we, we've involved, we've infused politics into every um we've infused politics into speech and it's so fucking deadly because now like nobody can say anything everyone's a victim on some marginal fucking level um you know everyone can wave the victim flag or you know everyone can uh wave the i'm offended flag or i'm outraged flag and it's just this complete mess and there's no more there's we've lost all the signal everyone's just fucking screaming about shit and you know we no longer know why and um, I don't know. I, I didn't make a clear point there, I don't think. But um, I, I think um, for me, the institutionalization and the and the 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 focus on the collective over the individual, I think, is where a lot of the problem stems from, first and foremost. Um, because, like I said, you can ascribe a an identity to somebody who's part of something that they look like they're a part of without appreciating that the individual may be completely different, yada, 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 yada. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I just think that that's a, that's a path to continually fighting amongst each other as opposed to 
finding ways to cooperate um, and be better. And, you know, the, the second part of that Why Liberty Matters article that, are, that I'm writing right now talks about, um, you know, re getting in touch again with the, with a society that is, um, that is built not on politics, but on economics because economic economics, and we'll go, get into this further as we go, but economics at its very core is purely the study of how humans allocate time and energy and time and energy are fundamentally don't know what race, gender, fucking religion, culture, or any of that shit is. The time and energy are two fixed constants. It's the, it's the two things we share. Everything else we can go and be different about, but when you take the the ability to um, oppress or offend or um, victimize or, or whatever we want to frame, based on these um, these imaginary uh, collectives, uh, and you know we we start working on a on a on an even ground um, or on a set of rules that we all agree to, which is you know purely raw economic rules, and this is where Bitcoin fixes a lot of these things. Is um we, we can turn a chapter and move away from having to make make big things out of shit like racism because because I think I'm even writing another article saying that racism is a fucking perfectly normal anthropological phenomenon um, and it's been with us since the beginning of time and it'll always be with us but when you take the um when you take when you de-weaponize it by taking uh by depoliticizing it um, it no longer becomes a problem at the individual level so anyway lo- lots of things in there we can touch on but um. I'll just I'll kill my rant here. So you can <laughs> well, Alex, I'll, I'll ask you one question about that. You know, you mentioned kind of the the tendency toward collective identification and behavior rather than individual. And aside from whatever political forces may wish to see the governed divided, let's shelve that one for a sec. And let's why do you think individuals buy in to collective and group identities and associations rather than seeing themselves as, as individuals? I think it's, um, it's partly education. Um, or it might even be primarily education these days. Um, there's a, there's a level of convenience in it. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's easier to, to, to stand in than to stand out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, um, you know, in, in society and, and, and particularly the more prosperous society gets, um, the more you're afraid to lose versus being um, inspired to gain. Um, and, you know, the, the individual, like be, being an individual by definition is, you know, more risky than being uh, in a group or in a collective. And, and that doesn't mean like, you know, some people confuse individualism with, oh, yeah, we're all fucking every man for himself and complete anarchy. Like that's not how it works, right? Is, um, you know, p- people can voluntarily, you know, come together and build collectives on shared values. There's nothing wrong with that. Individuals can do that. Um, the, the, the problem is when we give, when we create a institution out of a collective and give it uh, a moral, ethical, economic high ground um, that the individuals within it uh, don't get. Um, and then, or, or even the, and then particularly the individuals outside of that collective completely get fucking, um, disowned like the a perfect example is in burma right you've got the the buddhists quote unquote buddhists who run the country and they literally fucking rape burn torture and kill the um the myanmar muslims in there the rohingyas um why they're the same fucking people um but you know different label different collective and they fucking torture and kill them like it's insane it's absolutely insane 
Um, and and, and that, that's that's the that's the that's the threat of um, you know institutionalizing collectivism. And, and that, that I think is a very dangerous problem. And, and we've seen it in every single shade, um, from socialism to communism to religionism to fucking everything. It's it's a, yeah. it's a problem. I, I agree with that. And I think one of the problems that probably preceded those, the issues that you just referred to, and that I think we're dealing with in culture in the West broadly today, and this has been said several, you know, by several people, but if the ideas can't go to battle, then the people generally do. And mm-hmm. we're in a, in a society and culture now where, you know, in, in mainstream media and, and thought, there, there's an incredible narrowing of accepted discourse. And as a result, mm-hmm. certain ideas and people that espouse those ideas are marginalized simply because they're expressing an opinion that's counter to the dominant narrative. And as a result of that, we can't smash ideas together. We can't have these discussions. And if we can't have the ideas do battle, people generally do. And I think we're seeing manifestations of that all around the world today. Um, Zay, did you have anything to add to what's, uh, what Alex has just kind of touched on? Yeah, I, I was going to say uh, your last statement saying that if the ideas don't, if we don't have a marketplace of ideas, that people go to war. Uh, definitely, because I, I feel like most people are soft as shit. They don't really say what's on their mind, especially on TV. Even if they do say what they think is right, they still get vilified for it later. And I would rather people, like for instance, in the black community, a lot of people think you're supposed to talk really nice to us and be like, walk on eggshells. In reality, I would much rather somebody who is racist to say that up front. Then we can discuss it. I I like people to be themselves because a lot of the undercover little snarky liberal shit that I see uh, is, is like, uh, it's, it's almost like black people are too helpless. We can't do anything for ourselves. We'll, we'll take care of you like a pet dog. And it's, it's very insulting. And anyways, I think a lot of companies that have virtue signaled the last, what, few weeks, uh, same thing. It's like the marketplace of ideas. You can't really say anything. So they're just going to come out and say what's popular to make a book. So uh, yeah, you got to have the ability to sit down and talk about ideas, even if you disagree. At the end of the day, getting it off your chest and just saying it is much better than just hold pent up. I hate these people. I hate this idea, and then acting on it later. So, definitely uh, need to introduce a marketplace of ideas. I, I, I just want to say I really appreciate you saying that, bro. Because like, fuck me, like that. That for me, like, have like, I come off as abrasive and arrogant sometimes. But like, I have a saying in life, which is I'd rather be um, an honest asshole than a polite liar. And I think we're we're suffering from a from a wave of polite liars. Basically, it's it's people like I mean when you know those the fucking celebrities that got up. I'm sorry. I'm so oh, like, shut the Worst fuck up, man. <laughs> I know, man. It's like oh, it's like shut the fuck up and like let, let I'm, like. I'm in, I'm in LA with these people. There's homeless people <laughs> on the street every day. No shoes. No, I give money all the time, and I'm nowhere near as rich as half these people. Why are there <laughs> even homeless people in LA? I'm talking about West LA. Beverly Hills, why do they exist? But they can make a video saying, we're so sorry that these things happen. Shut the fuck up. You're right. Dude, so I really appreciate that. Because like for me, I've always I've always respected somebody who can who can just, you know, with with some facts and some logic, you know, tell me why they disagree with me. Or if they can't, and if they can't disagree with me on some facts and logic and they're a fucking moron, I'd rather know that because then I cannot have to associate with them. Um, and, and it's the classic, um, I, I think I heard Eric July or someone talk about this, but he was saying like, um, if, if you're a, if you're a 
owner of a store, let's say, you know, you're selling, I don't know, whatever the fuck you're selling, electrical appliances. And um, let's say you're you're a white dude. Let's just use the, the, the normal categorization. You're a white dude and you're a racist motherfucker, right? And you don't want to sell to black people. Um, now, the government turns around and makes you sell to black people because that's apparently what the fuck is right to do. Now, you're going to have a fucking black person go in there and buy something from this motherfucker who doesn't like you. Why should you give him your hard-earned money because the government's it's it's such a fucking load of shit like i would much rather um again like in australia we don't have um you know there's not a huge black community but like there's a massive southern uh european community so we were sort of like quasi you know blacks in australia like you know my, my parents and everything came on a boat in the um you know in the 60s and you know they were categorized as the wogs and all this sort of shit so when i grew up in um in high school you know i was part of the the wogs like we were, we were the ethnic you know fresh off the boat and all that sort of shit but we didn't give a fuck like we actually ended up finding um pride in that stuff and we would much like i know i would much rather prefer someone tell me to my face that they don't fucking like me and I don't care. I'm not going to be friends with you. I don't have to fucking interact with you. And you know, you, you shouldn't have to be forced to like me um, just because it's politically correct. Fuck. I don't give a shit. And the thing is in, in and this is where the, the free market ideology stuff comes from and the, and the, the roots in private property is when um, for example, racism on an individual basis exists and, it, and it's unable to be institutionalized such that one small group has the power to inflict, um, you know, some form of oppression on a group, whether in or out group. Um, when that doesn't exist, on an individual basis, racism is only a problem to the person that's fucking racist, as an example. You know, because then, guess what? Like, we, we, I'll, I'll use a job as an example. Let's say, um, you know, me, for example, uh, I go to apply for a fucking job um, as a salesperson and I go into a, um, you know, there's an area in Australia called Cronulla where there was a big, um, there was a big race fight um, between the Arabs and the Wogs and the, and the Aussies, the Surfies and all that sort of stuff about, I think it was almost 10 or 12 years ago now. It was massive. So if you go there, like someone like me, there's no chance, you know, I would get a job there. But here's the thing those guys would miss out like whoever's running that sales company would miss out on one of the best salesperson in the country. And what will I do? I'll go find somewhere else to add that value. So what ends up happening is someone's bigotry or their, um, their inability to, um, to, you know, be tolerant or whatever, however we're going to phrase it, it's actually a detriment to them on an individual level. Um, whereas when we do it, um, when we impose these, uh, these laws and these, you're going to have to be fucking like this because the government said so and because it's politically correct, we actually damage way more people than the individual who chooses to be a dickhead himself um, or a bigot in, in whatever way. So it's, um, anyway, I just wanted to drill into that because that honesty, I think, is what's lacking. And the more we, the more we optimise society for safety and cushioning, you know, the more we're going to build soft people, you know, like I'm a fan of bravery and courage, not of victimhood. And we're just creating a fucking society full of victims. That, yeah. Um, and and I better. think, I think we just rotate through what, you know, whatever category is, you know, highlighted as the greatest victim in the given moment. And then the thought police come on and narrow the thought and narrow the acceptable speech around these issues. And that rotates around, you know, as, as we've already mentioned, all the different 
uh, people that can be construed as victims, which let's be real, everyone is a victimizer and a victim simultaneously on some <laughs> scale, all of us, every single human being, right? Yep. And uh, so everyone can play that game at some point. And I think what we end up doing is we just end up suppressing real thought, real speech. And as you say, Zay, like, I don't want to interact with people who I know have or who I don't know who what their real opinion or position is on things. If you don't like me, if you think I'm an asshole, if you think I'm a whatever, I'd rather know just, instead of have you feign some sort of, uh, you know, false appearance so that you're not called out or we can get by or whatever. And I think if, if we do go that way, so much of this gets suppressed and that you know, that frustration and those real sentiments and emotions flare up in, in some other way. And so Zay, like, I'm, I'm curious, you know, obviously you're far more involved in the black community than, you know, Alex or I, and I'm sure you've had a lot of these, you know, conversations, two questions for you. One, when you, you know, when you encounter people that are thinking of it, let's just say in the kind of mainstream narrative way, like, yes, you know, well, first of all, what, what in your mind is the end goal of the mainstream Black Lives Matter movement? Um, you know, what are these people in the street hoping to accomplish? And then two, what is the, the kind of nature of your conversations when you have one-on-one -on -one time with, with people that are kind of in that uh, way, group of way of thinking about things? And what's the response when you maybe try to, you know, say, you know frame things in the manner that we've been doing thus far on, in this conversation? So the end game, I don't know. I don't know what Black Lives Matter's end game is. Uh, by visiting their website, looking at their goals, it seems to be a movement for the LGBTQ community uh, along with a movement for black women. Uh, I don't really see the economic solutions. I don't see some of the problems that we can fix in our own community on there. Um, I don't really see anything that would affect the change in police. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the end game is. I know that they're in the street. That's about it. Um, for, for the people I have conversations with when they talk about Black Lives Matter movements uh, or, you know, certain protests, I tell them exactly like I've told you all, and they usually agree with me. It's just they won't say it out loud. That's the problem. They'll literally agree with everything I said and then still go out to their family just to appease how it feels. And, you know, I've, I've been a, the black sheep of my family for years, just with doing so, I mean, Bitcoin is just an example, like, you know what I mean? Like uh, of being able to go on your own and, and find your own path based on what works and what is factual. Um, and I really don't know what the end game is. And going forward, what I would like to see is a standard economic solution um, because I've seen what works and what works in America is group economics and communities and that like have Korea, you have Chinatown, you have Little Ethiopia, and you have, you know, Little Armenia, all these places where people gather together, put their money together and were able to spend it together. That is actually how you grow as a group, because I want to remind people from an economic standpoint, uh, if we kept it where the people who were racist didn't like black people, if they stayed with their businesses, the median value of black people rose steadily all the way up until the 60s when we had forced integration. Um, when the government forces you to like somebody or forces you to have them in the store, it's like, okay, well, they're here, but they secretly hate me. And then we have what we have today. All of our, our the best athletes, the best entertainers in our black community, they go to white schools and get signed by uh, white record labels who don't really like them. 
And they keep doing it over and over and over because everybody's trying to be nice, tries to say the right thing. And then when it comes out, they never really liked you. They just wanted the money out of you. They're like, oh, I'm surprised. And I'm like, well, I mean, I've seen what works. And I can tell you right now, you know, we're very tribal. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we're all going to be in this mix together. But if you want to know what works, I I've seen what works. And it's not this be nice to everybody and everybody's our friendship, uh, unfortunately. And then the people who are allies, people who are friends, they'll naturally just come around. They'll just do what they normally do. Like, you know, I'm, I, after the George Floyd incident, I have friends tell me that they had white people calling them saying, I'm so sorry because you're, everything is going so wrong. And I was like, I have white friends and none of them called me. You know why? Because they're real friends. They're not fucking sympathetic. Like, oh God, I can't believe this. Ha-. You know what I mean? They're my real friends. They, they don't have to apologize for something somebody else did. So I just think this, uh, like Alex was saying, being forced to like people, being forced to have this certain opinion, it only hurts everybody on an individual level because I'm not going away. I'm damn sure not apologizing for anything that I say ever, but the people who go on TV, who get these opportunities usually are just apologetic and to me are very, very soft because if you stand on what you're saying, you should be willing to die for it. If not, why are you even saying it? Nice. Say, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because, you know, just by virtue of your appearance, You've written a book called Bitcoin and Black America. I assume at least in part because of all the, you know, what's going on in the media today, you're probably being requested, you know, well, you're, you're probably being requested by some of these people that we're referring to, to come on and, and you know, uh, represent that, that side of things. What, like... Do you, do you ever kind of surprise them when you when you when you articulate these thoughts? Are they expecting something different out of you? And can you sense that or like just what's the general interaction and, and response from people that maybe are thinking you'll deliver one message and, and you deliver another? Uh, well, usually, like I said, when it's economic based and it's factual, they end up agreeing with me. And I haven't really had an argument, so to say, with somebody or a, a disagreement. Uh, I think most people know what's going on is bullshit, but they can't say it. So then when I say it, they actually are appreciative and they're like, thank you for finally saying that as a black person, because anybody white could say the Black Lives Matter movement is trash, they would get killed online. And when I say it, I'm like, and this is why, they're like, well, yeah, it is kind of trash. Like, I don't know, any, nobody in my family is like a Black Lives Matter person. They're just like, yeah, this is, they listen to what I'm telling them economically. And I'm like, this that's what we should be focusing on. And all the smoke and mirrors and all of the, all of the stuff that, like you said, virtue signaling wise, it doesn't apply to black people. Like if you look at it, NAACP owned by white people, BT owned by white people. This is, these are not black organizations. Like what are you talking about? Real black organizations are usually local and are usually funded by the people that live in that area. And those real organizations, when they, when I speak to them, they understand what I'm saying. Now the mainstream people, I don't know these people. I don't even really associate with them. They haven't invited me on the show. Maybe they have seen some of the stuff I've tweeted or said before, but I don't, I don't really have much disagreements because it's factual. I don't, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. And I, I think this will be a good segue into maybe some, some Bitcoin stuff. But I think one of the things that we can all appreciate is that everyone has been, or nearly everyone has been adversely affected by the current economic system in which we're forced to exist. And that creates a lot of frustration, a lot of angst, a, lot, a sense of unfairness. It breeds a lot of inequality, of course. And I, I think it's enticing when your particular group gets singled out for the sympathy card on this round of the media fair, that it's enticing to say, oh, like this is how I get my 
share. This is how I get my rec recognition. This is how I vent that anger. This is how I get mine. Like it's finally like all this frustration that's underneath. This is how I now get it. And I, I can see how enticing that is, regardless of whatever group it, it, it is. Um, and I think the three of us would agree that we, we totally get that frustration and angst, angst and, you know, unfairness that's, that's built into the current system we operate in. But we've got to be so disciplined, I think, as individuals not to latch on to the first solution or, or appearance of a solution um, or, and perhaps false solution that we see emerge. The first one that gets a bit of support from the people that we think, you know, typically weren't on our team or that are now deciding to be our allies. We've got to be real careful not to basically just take the first prize that comes along. We really got to focus, you know, and this is why discussion is so important. We have to determine true causes of all this stuff. What is the cause of inequality? What is the cause of violence? What is the cause of this angst and frustration? And without that, we're just going to keep, you know, in this recursive cycle of these things happening again until it gets worse and worse and worse. So, um, you know, let's, let's talk about how the economic system breeds this and let's talk about, you know, a solution. Alex? I'm gonna, I'll, I'll chime in there. I think one of the things you mentioned there is something I talk about a lot, which is um, thinking thinking symptomatically versus thinking about the cause. Um, and, and it aligns with um, a lot of the psychological kind of study um, I did when I was younger. So I did a lot of um, you know, neuro-linguistics, NLP and all that sort of stuff when I was young, but there's a core tenet of a lot of that uh, line of thought, which is are you at cause, are you at effect? And, and, it, and it helps you become you know, responsible uh, for your own decisions, but it helps you start to think a little bit deeper. And then as an extension to that, um, thinking uh, holistically and thinking uh, about things from first order principles and then thinking about uh, multiple order effects when you're doing stuff. And then this is all related to thinking deeper than just thinking about the surface level symptom or what might be a solution to what seems to be the problem in front of you, but, um, you know, misses the um misses the deeper problem so this is why i mean it's one of the reasons why i really love bitcoin because it um it makes you by definition think layers deep um you know it's it's not you, you then realize that things like you know skin color politics left right fucking whatever other label you start to realize that none of that shit actually means anything um and you, you start to dig at you know the core of what um what some of these problems are. So, so I think that's sort of like a first thing is, you know, we've, we've, we've spent a hundred years now educating people to, um, to basically regurgitate information um, instead of educating them to think critically um, instead of educating them to think deeply. So, so that's where a lot of this problem spawns from. And, and again, if we look where that comes from, that comes from the institutionalization uh, of education um, and the state or, you know, again, which is a, which is a derivative of a collective um, or it's a representation of a collective deciding what everybody should know, um, what they should be taught and basically building, um, you know, factory drones, uh, you know, i.e. their version of or understanding of humans, um, you know, th through a fucking sausage machine, basically, you know, we, we go in one way and, you know, we basically get all of our, uh, you know, our own thinking, our own creativity, you know, and our own personalities drummed out of us for fucking 12 years and we get spat out the other side 
as another fucking sausage that's been um <laughs> that's been told uh what to think um not how to think um and you know what's fucking real and what's not so um i mean i i don't i don't know how to you know how to get the world back to um to thinking more critically and all that sort of stuff except through I don't know, I was, I was on the Kaiser Report early and, you know, one of the things I mentioned was, you know, in the same way that the USA was founded on the basis of um, of people getting the fuck away from the oppressive monarchy and, like, finding a new promised land um, and building something from scratch, I mean, you had that prosperity. Like, you know, freedom breeds opportunity and opportunity is, you know, the base incentive for the betterment of, um, of individuals. Um, and when you take away freedom, you start to take away opportunity. Um, and, and what's interesting is that equality and freedom are, um, are dichotomies, that they don't, they don't work together. Like the more you try and make everything equal, by definition, you remove equality. You, you set, the, you set the, um, the parameters through which something can um, behave or exist. So, you know, I, I think equality is the fucking dumbest possible goal, you know, of, humanity um I, I think freedom is the goal and then that freedom like i said breeds opportunity and then opportunity uh breeds um the desire for people uh to get better now it's not a clean process there's always going to be dickheads around but by and large um you know uh the incentive to exist uh you know hinges on uh core behaviors like you know, honesty, truth, integrity, blah, blah, blah. And that, that's why those things have become, you know, good features. So b- b- before I go off on, you know, I, I tend to fucking go on to these tangents, but um, I think, you know, Bitcoin being a, um, being its own version of a promised land um, is why I think the idea behind the Bitcoin fixes this hashtag is so powerful because it represents the new age version of, you know, the creation of, you know, the constitution of America, which was the last time people really were able to go to a new land and build something from scratch. And we saw how powerful that was, you know, America became the dominant power of the world for the last, you know, quarter of a fucking millennium. That, that's, a, that's a long time. Um, but I think the next couple thousand years, we're going to see the emergence of the new promised land, but it's going to be built on a new social contract, um, on a new set of rules that are far more incorruptible than the um, than the constitution, and that is, you know, the Bitcoin consensus algorithm. Um, so anyway, that that's a long way of me kind of saying, yeah, we 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 have hope. <laughs> <laughs> Zay, you keep uh, coming in and out. Are you yeah. All right. All right. Let me jump off, jump back on, fix something real quick. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. While, while Zay's doing that, funny, I just got an email from Crunchbase. And at the bottom, it says, you know, racism. How should CEOs respond? You know, Barbara Shannon, founder of the CEO, peer group, the CEO board, and host of the B Suite podcast, whatever the fuck that is, shares why it's not only acceptable, but expected that business leaders address racism, white supremacy, and criminal fucking justice reform head on. She offers a path for CEOs and business leaders who don't know where to begin stating that doing nothing under the guise of professionalism is no longer an option. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, 
seriously, who the fuck are you to tell me what to do and how to think, you monkey? Like, <laughs> all right, hold on. Zay, you back? Yeah, I'm back. How is it now? Is yeah, it it's good. But now, now, there you go. All right, you're better. Yeah, I think, um, I think I'm still in my Wi-Fi right now. Yeah, you're drinking <laughs> beers at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Baby, celebrate <laughs> Friday. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if you caught any of what Alex was saying, but uh, where yeah, did where did yeah. you leave leave off? Uh, it, discussing about uh, how Bitcoin can be effective because of the consensus algorithm, and uh, I caught the end of that. But uh, yeah, remind me again. What, what are we? What are we well, talking about? I'd like to get your take on this because I think this is this is part of the things you've been talking about. But the irony of a lot of this is that I think if you dig down deep enough, a big cause of this inequality, this you know dislocation, misallocation of capital, disenfranchised groups of people, is largely to do with the inefficiencies um, and the downright unfairness of the allocation of capital and the operation of the state. And the irony is that the more these problems are exacerbated, the more the people affected by them look to that very entity for solutions. And in doing so, they actually basically ask that entity to be bigger, to have more influence, to control this more, to control that more, to allocate this, to allocate that. And by doing so, making the problem that affects them this time, but also everyone else in many different capacities, worse. Uh, and that's such, a, that's a, such a huge irony. And Alex was basically saying, we shouldn't be striving for equality, uh, for everything to be equal across the board. But what we should be striving for is fairness. Right. You should you know, you should have basically an even playing field. Not that everyone's going to start at the same place. Obviously, everyone is starting at different places. But once you enter the game, the rules should be the same for everybody. And then you succeed or you fail based on your merit. And yes, some people are going to start, you know, ahead and they're going to squander that lead. Other people are going to start below and they're going to fucking catch up. Other people are going to start ahead and they'll stay ahead. As long as the rules of the game are fair, that's the most we can ask for. And I think that is the thing that most people don't recognize, that the game that we're all in the midst of right now is so incredibly unfair and favors such a small group of people and gives that small group of people so much power that it affects negatively pretty much everyone who's outside of that circle, some more than others, some at different time than others, but me, Alex, Zay, and everybody else watching this in different ways. And so fairness, I think, is the ideal. And Zay, you wrote a book about why, you know, Bitcoin represents that. So why don't you dig into that a little bit? All right. So Bitcoin is the only money system that is out uh, today that actually um, has, you know, actual censorship resistance. Uh, it allows you to be self-sovereign. Uh, there is no centralized leader or building. And you make Bitcoin or earn Bitcoin and earn the money based on the work you do. Uh, and most people... When they earn that money, it's taxed, overtaxed uh, in the U.S. system, or it's uh, taken away from them systematically with a bunch of other fees and tax that don't need to be attached to anything. Uh, and I think if we're going to move forward with fairness, Bitcoin is as fair as it gets. If you earn the money, you earned it. And of course, there were people at the beginning that had more, had a little, but the overall rules to the game are the same. We know the rules; they're in the white paper. They're constantly updated to appease people who come into it, but they're not you know, the foundation isn't changed. So I think that's why it's a better money system. And I think because the rules are rigged um, and, you know, a lot of the wealth in the country was taken out of black communities systematically, 
Bitcoin is our only chance going forward to have that fairness. Because like you said, in my, in my opinion, fairness is the goal, not necessarily equality. So most people in the black community just want to be left alone. And if you want to be left alone to your own vices and make money, which I think most of us do, Bitcoin is pretty much the only way because of fiat currency. You have somebody who prints it, uh, literally just types numbers in like 10 guys, and then they give it to their friends and then they just circle it amongst each other. And then we get a small trickle down us regular people. So uh, if you want a re really fair system, you have to go to the root. All of this other stuff is just smoke and mirrors. It's distracting. It, who gives a shit? Go straight to the source. The source of most of these problems is the Fed. That's everybody. All these marches, should, people marching on the Fed. Like, yes. my, <laughs> but yeah. you just a massive wave of all these millions of people. That's how I know it's kind of fake, because if they actually sat down and read, like, all right, what's the real problem? You wouldn't have all these marches directed down the street to, you know, some courthouse or whatever. And people stand outside just being mad. Like, what is that? Right. It's the money. People should be yeah, holding. It's, it's the money matters. It's the money. money matters. Exactly. What is? Who cares about Black Lives Matter street? Or you put this yellow Black Lives Matter thing on the pavement and people are spray. Who cares? Nobody that I know that has joined this movement has actually increased the economic well-being of the people around them. I have because I don't play into a lot of the bullshit. Does, does racism exist? Absolutely. But I'm not. I can't look my kids in the face and say I couldn't succeed because of white men. Like that's just not me or most of the people I know. So yes, it does exist, but if we want to talk about the problem, problem, it's the Fed. They the reason a lot of this racism or practice racist practice has happened by banks is because they're beholden to the investors to hold a certain standard that was created, I don't know, hundreds of years ago or a hundred years ago. So banks are just doing what they've always done. And if the money system change changes, they won't have that freedom to do it anymore because nobody will use them or nobody will uh take uh use their services so i think we have to get to the root i think bitcoin is one solution uh a very big one and i think people in my community as well as others should adopt it and what you know what kind of feedback or reception do you get when you frame the problem in that way like are people starting to have the light bulb moment where they see that the problem is more about the money and not you know whatever else are, are people starting to see that Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, in massive ways, uh, people have been holding up Bitcoin in Black America sometimes at protests. Some people nice. have brought up Bitcoin in L.A. Somebody brought up Bitcoin at a protest. First thing he said was, we need an economic solution. We should buy Bitcoin. Was and I'm like, I am I am the character? I am the character, yeah. So yeah, people, that was awesome. They're, they're starting to, to understand it. And then on top of, you know, just the movement itself, a lot of people are tired of protesting. They're like, why are we doing this shit again? And it's like, how do we, how can this be the last time? And I think that's when you start to turn to the economics. In fact, uh, there is a lot of uh, talk around a day in the near future where all black people are gonna buy Bitcoin at the same time, at least $5 worth, to show that we can exit the system if we need to and the leverage we need. Now, the exact date, I don't know, um, because we're still getting it figured out, but that movement, I didn't start it. Somebody hit me up and was like, hey, did you hear that? This? That's what I'm saying. I, I can see the passion being turned into economic because a lot of times, you know, people get real, real emotional and then you look at them and you're like, all right, now what? And then they don't have an answer for you. So you got to change that. And I think I think the sentiment is changing. Dude, I, I, I love the I love that everyone's going to get together and buy five bucks. That's Sick. That's a real protest, right? Yeah, man. Black, white, Asian, yeah, get everyone in the world. The Bitcoin buying day. You can do it from home on your phone. Yeah, you don't have to go on the street and risk getting shot in the face with a rubber bullet or getting uh, chased by dogs or police. 
because I, I really don't think protests are are beneficial to black people because you probably are more likely to get in trouble while you're out there or something happened to you. But if you want to protest, you can do it from the house, do it from your phone, and we can do it weekly. $5 a week. Everybody who wants to join, thousands, millions, however many, just start mine Bitcoin. You'll you'll get you'll see a response real quick. I guarantee you. Um, and one of the things that it may be a coincidence, but if you really want a response and you want people to uh, to feel you, low hanging fruit for black people is to be like, oh fuck Trump. I hate Trump. Uh, he's not listening to anything he's saying. But what I will say is the one that the one time he tweeted about Bitcoin was the day I dropped my book. The one <laughs> time before or after. So I can guarantee you. That that is a that is what you call actual impact versus ah fuck that's low hanging fruit who cares like you can just say that and just walk away can you write a book that can actually change the or have an idea or be a part of an idea that can actually change what you don't like that's what we need to strive for yeah man hundred percent yeah it. it's it's I, I'm I'm encouraged by people like yourself say that are you know putting this stuff out and even though like. Like we said at the beginning, it, or actually, let's dig into this because I wanted to ask you when you said it. But you know, you talked about focusing on communities, right? You know, Chinatown, Black community, Koreatown, whatever. And then you said, you know, like and anybody who who doesn't ascribe or associate to anything in particular, I mean, they're more more than welcome to come in and out. What do you think is the benefit of even kind of putting? emphasizing like kind of group interaction in that way, even if it's just economic, you're not saying like anything else other than, you know, we want to try to support our group via interacting economically with each other. Why do you think that is important or, um, you know, a better solution than just saying we should all just interact economically based on economics and not anything else? Uh, Because again, like I said, statistically, when most of the wealth plateaued in the black community, it was during integration and forced integration. So when I've seen communities that have come to America and have flourished, they've done it with group economics. Uh, I have an ex-girlfriend that was uh, uh, Mexican and her family literally created three or four millionaires because the first generation they got here hired the kids and then the neighbors that were around them, they worked for those businesses. And then their kids went to college and they were able to get be doctors, lawyers, because they kept that money within their community. Now, did they not allow anybody to come buy food from them or come to their businesses? No, it's open to everybody. But if you have a strong group economics, then you can pull yourself up, so to say, by your bootstraps without somebody having to help. Because I mean, out here in Koreatown, they, they, their businesses aren't even in English. Some of them, they don't even give a shit. They're like, we don't care if you can read because we support each other, which makes them viable in the economic landscape of the world. So. Being in a group and being able to take care of yourself as a group is not bad because when it comes to businesses and being able to buy things, people are going to shop with the best businesses. But how do you get there? Money. And if you can't get any investment from banks and you VCs are only giving money to uh, or 99% of money is not going to black owned owners, you got to support each other. And that's where the money comes from. So uh, that's why I think it works. And I think Bitcoin can help with that. But of course, you can't solve everything with, with one one solution one overnight actually there's something i want to touch on there bro is the um the uh, what do you call it um these communities like koreatown chinatown you know all this sort of stuff it's um you know this word diversity it pisses me off sometimes because everyone throws it around it's all about diversity but and and then they say oh we can't have discrimination 
what, what I don't understand, I just did two videos that I'm going to post live on, on a little channel that I'm creating. Um, it'll go live later this week or early next week. It's called um, Discrimination and Diversity. So I've got it in two parts and say that they go fucking hand in hand. Like what you're talking about, like these creating these communities that support themselves. And yeah, they might be more consistent of um, Koreans or more consistent of Chinese or more consistent of Arabs or whatever the, whatever the um, you know, the, the line in which they want to um, consist of. Um, but what that actually does is it maintains cultural diversity um, better than trying to integrate everyone forcefully um, and make everyone have the same cultural fucking values or the same cultural beliefs or the same, like that, that, that creates homogenous, monotonous societies that are weak. There's no, there's no, um, there's no then ability to, to differentiate. Um, and, and this, this ability to, to group together to, you know, I think you mentioned it before, like that we're tribal by nature and it's, it's true that that's, that's what human beings are. We're fucking, we're chimps, you know, just with less hair. That's you know really the only difference is, um, you know, and, and we're a little bit smarter apparently. But um, it's it's when we create these large homogenous institutions um, like you know governments and central banks etc., where we try and apply blanket rules um, to everybody that things really start to to go awry. And this is again the the, the power of bringing things back to being local. Um, you know, the more localized it is, the more people can voluntarily come together around things that they value. You know, be it cultural, be it um, you know, religious belief based, or whatever the case might be, um, and and it's just yeah. I, I think that's just an important point for people to realize is um you know forced you know diversity you know leads to homogenization and actually defeats diversity you know and you never have it. Whereas uh, allowing for freedom for discrimination and the ability for people to you know create the groups that they want to create you actually breed true natural diversity. And, and th these leftists and social justice warriors more so, they, they, they don't get it. You know, they're, they're, they're literally, they're, because they don't think deeper, you know, earlier I was talking about thinking about, you know, second, third, fourth and subsequent order effects. These social justice warriors seem to only think of a first order effect. And they don't realize that most of the actions they're taking actually defeat what they're out there waving the fucking banner for. Like they, they, they're doing the opposite. Um, and that's just because they don't take the time to think deeper. And, and I think that's, again, a problem of um, running people through an educational system that is a sausage machine. You know, you, you feed them through one end and they come out the other end all the fucking same, you know, we're a bunch of drones who can't think for ourselves. So it's, it's um, I, I think it's really important. And this also ties back into John's point earlier about, you know, letting ideas and speech flow freely because the more of that that happens um, and the more honest that can be the more people can coalesce and converge around the values that matter to them and you know think critically this is why i'm such a proponent of freedom it's such a better optimization than um equality and safety because equality and say i mean if you want equality and safety go to fucking north korea like there you go you know, that, that, that's equality and safety for you. Everyone's fucking equal, everyone's safe, but, you know, no one's happy. Like, I would much rather the, the, the messiness of freedom um, and the, the diversity that that creates because that's so much more like nature 
Um, and, and the more we divert from nature, the more the more deranged we become. So anyway, I want to drill on on that point because I, I really like that. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Alex. And it's, I can't remember who said the quote, but it's something along the lines of, you know, if you give up freedom to get security, you'll you'll get neither or something like that. And, you know, one of the things that I find so strange about the times we're in is whatever issue pops up, I'll look at it through the lens of, of freedom normally. Now, I know there's nuances in any discussion, and that's why we have these discussions. But I, for me, that is typically the ideal. I mean, it's, and it's strange to me that people would want something other than that. Mm. Like freedom means you as an individual can go forth and, and try to you know, live the life that you want. Obviously, there's certain principles inherent in that. And even if like, you know, people say, yeah, but like, you're not free to assault me. And, you know, I would say, well, I actually am like I could if I wanted to, like I could run up on you and assault you. So you should be like that should be a consideration for you as a free person. You know, how do you defend yourself, protect yourself, extricate yourself from a threatening situation? But that is also a consideration about the society we want to exist in and the communities we want to exist in. Will I be ostracized, extricated, defunded, whatever, if I exhibit that harmful, aggressive, violent behavior unprovoked, for example? Right. But, you know, the, the, the freedom is still there. And I like I think we should we should prioritize freedom and then think about the responsibilities and measures that we need to take in order to have in order to responsibly use the freedom that we have in any domain. And I feel like today that's somehow a controversial thing is, pe- you know, people are actually against freedom. They're saying, no, you have, you, I want you to think this way. I want you to act this way. I want someone to control your behavior. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting around during these conversations thinking, where did we, like, how did we get here where, where that is, that is such a controversial thing, you know, that, that, that freedom is what, you know, the, the great heroes of our past have so often fought for and we've idolized them. And now we're in a period now where, the ideal in, in many cases, at least the one that's, you know, gets mainstream, uh, you know, attention and spotlight is conformity, conforming to the ideals and the ideologies and the sensibilities of somebody other than yourself. And that seems like a very strange thing to me. This is, there's, um, I've got a friend of mine who's, who she's really smart, but she's become a fucking SJW and it drives me mental. And we, we sort of had this conversation, right. When, um, she mentioned, Oh, you know, but there's downsides to freedom. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, there's there's downsides to everything, right? But the, the downside to freedom is not, um, you know, uh, detrimental to the individuals that make up society on a on a mass scale, right? You know, the, the the downsides of freedom can be detrimental to a few people, but but fundamentally, like, the, see, the way I define freedom, and, and I'll steal from Talib here, despite him thinking that I'm an idiot, apparently, but um. He, Talib talks about the silver rule instead of the golden rule. And, and the, the differentiation there is the golden rule is do unto others as you wish them to do unto you. And, you know, he talks about the problem with that line of thought is that, you know, um, you may want something different than somebody else. So you probably shouldn't do that because, you know, your values could be different. So the silver rule is do not do unto others as you do not wish them to do unto you. Um, and, and that's a, that's a much... Um, you know, narrower line of things, but it, it means that you don't go out and, um, you know, because we can all generally agree on things that we don't want, you know, we don't want to be bashed, you know, we don't want to be stolen from, you know, we don't want to be locked up, you know, all this sorts of shit, right? There's very few people, even people who might be um, 
aggressive in nature, um, you know, they, they, they're not, they don't want to get beaten up or, you know, all of this sort of stuff. So, so it's, it's a good core rule. And, and I think true freedom lies in the freedom to choose. And the part that's really important with the freedom to choose is that in that it's inconsistent to take away somebody else's freedom to choose. So if we, if we temper the, the notion of freedom with the fact that your freedom is just as important as somebody else's freedom, and as a result, you know, you, um, you know, we, we have a, a core ethic in society that, that, you know, morally uh, frowns upon, you know, uh, uh, intruding on somebody else's freedom. If you start from that basis, you can then build a society that's, you know, got robust freedom, robust property rights, um, you know, individual, strong individuals, um, you know, with ethics and morals, et cetera. But, but that, that's a, that's a grassroots movement, um, which, you know, requires, you know, education and all that sort of stuff, but it also requires, um, first and foremost, um, a system, um, you know, economic system particularly. And, and the reason I, I really focus on economic system, because there is no other system of human collaboration, you know, that allows us to exist or to coexist. So it has to be economic by definition. That is, that is time and energy, um, you know, resources allocated amongst constituents in a society. So we need a economic foundation upon which um, to build and it needs to be from scratch. And, and that's why I'm such a proponent of Bitcoin because it is a blank slate. It's a clean slate. Like Zay said earlier, it's, um, you know, it's got fixed fucking rules, um, you know, it allows the world to be dynamic, the same as nature. Some people, you know, I always hear people say, oh, you know, what about the Winklevosses, you know, who have so much Bitcoin? Well, fuck, man, shit happens. You know, they've got a lot. They're going to have a lot. At some point, you know, that's going to filter back into the system. It may not all filter back because, they, you know, they might want to die rich fucking misers and pass it on to their kids, but their kids might turn up to be, you know, uh, degenerate fucking junkies who then, you know, spend it all and it all goes back into the system, but at least they can't, um, get an unfair advantage because like we sort of said earlier is, um, you know, equality, equality is such a poor goal. Like inequality is normal across everything in nature, across everything in the universe, that there's nothing equal. Everything is fucking different. You know, the, the problem is unfairness. And when you can rig the game, um, you know, to, for, for your own benefit at the expense of everybody else, that's when people get pissed off. Um, so, you know, I fucking think, my rants, I, I never remember I mean, what I, I think that's that. a good analogy though, Alex, because, you know, if, if we look for equality on the individual basis between two people, and I think the nature is a good example, like if the lion is, is equal as the gazelle, then, you know, maybe that relationship is some sort of utopian, but the system is not harmonious. The system doesn't balance. Right. Sure. But if you, if you allow for inequality in pockets that's mediated by the functioning of the system at large, then you'll get a more adaptive and more harmonious, a more broadly uh, functioning system ra rather than trying to equalize every single point within it. Well, you can't. And, and, and that's that dichotomy between equality and freedom. And, and if you allow a system to be free based on um, rules that are the same for everyone, you create something that's dynamic. Um, you know, I record another video that I recorded the other day was, um, you know, equality breeding uh, conformity. And, you know, equality is such a fucking bad goal, man. It's such a bad goal because it, it, 
It's the antithesis to nature. It's the antithesis to freedom. It's the antithesis to opportunity. In our bid for equality, we're actually going to destroy opportunity. So you know, there's all these people who even talk about equality of opportunity. That's actually a misnomer. You can't have equality of opportunity unless we nuke the entire fucking world and we start from scratch. By definition, people are going to be starting at different points. So it's 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 I because I used to you know I've never been a fan of equality of outcome. That's just completely deranged. But the more and more I think about you know, think deeply about the difference between equality and fairness, you start to realize that equality of opportunity is also a scam as well, because you can't, by definition, you can't have it. You know, we, we can't all, all of a sudden start from the same point. So, you know, but you can have fairness in the game. Right. Um, and the only way we can do that, again, is by starting fresh, by going somewhere else. And because we don't have a new land to go to, you know, we all can't fit on a fucking island somewhere. <laughs> um, you know, we, we need to start on a new uh, you know, a new set of rules, a new constitution, you know, call it. And, and that constitution is, it lives in the digital realm. Um, and, you know, it's, its rules are written, like Zay said earlier, in, in the white paper. And that's so fucking profound. And, and this is where, you know, my head um, blows up when I think about this stuff. I think, holy crap, we're, we're laying the foundation for the next couple millennia. Um, not, you know, this isn't, this isn't a get rich quick over the next 20 years game. This is big. This is really, really, really that's, that's exactly what Bitcoin is. It's the game with rules that can't be corrupted, right? Yeah. Every other time we've tried to play this. And I agree, Alex, equality of opportunity is impossible. So what and I think what people say that I think what they're intending to mean is uh, everyone playing by the same rules, but it maybe it's not sure. the right uh, words to use. But that's what Bitcoin represents. It is it is the game with uncorruptible rules, because anytime we've even, you know, the Constitution of the US, which is, you know, the, the, the foresight and the way that the founding fathers articulated that shit, it was, it was amazing for, for its time. And, and, and in the history of the world, I mean, it really was a thoughtful way to try to construct a, a society, a nation, whatever, the way that people interact with each other. But it, it, it fundamentally was just a rule and not, it, it had no real inherent enforcing like mechanism it, it could be corrupted it couldn't maintain its its own you know essence effectively and you know we've seen how that's you know devolved over time and what i and because i think a lot of the reason why people fail to grasp this stuff is they they've been in this system so long that when you talk about you know concepts of freedom and stuff it's 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 terrifying to them and you know one simple example related to bitcoin is it's a paradigm shift to take your own financial sovereignty, to know that the bank's not there to keep guard of your funds or to pay back your visa if it gets stolen. You are now completely responsible for that. And we've, and we've delegated or abdicated our, abdicated our responsibility in so many different domains up to this point that people are kind of terrified of bringing all the responsibility, power, and freedom back to themselves. And what's so exciting and terrifying is that this new game, where everyone plays by the same rules, it requires that of you. That's what it means to play in that game, is to do those things. And if you're willing to, to play by those rules, it, like those rules won't change. And that is such an underappreciated aspect of this, that we can now get involved in a game where we're all going to be playing by the same rules. And that's, that's what we want, I think. It, it's that, but it even goes, um, I'm, I'm going to add a layer on top of that, is that it it's because it's so voluntary in nature. Um, it allows those of us who want to take full responsibility to take full responsibility. And then it allows for the existence of products, services, and things like that to exist 
that allow those who are, you know, not willing to take as much responsibility to take less responsibility at some perceived cost, sure, sure. but the cost and the risk can no longer be hidden. And that's where I think we go wrong with the current system is that people get the, um, the notion of safety. Um, they get the feeling of everything's okay, whilst risks are basically hidden um, and you, you, get, you get real cancerous systemic problems, which then end up blowing up in our face whether you want to call it 2008, whether you want to call it COVID, whether you want to fucking dot com, you know, boom, whatever. Like it, it just, they come out in these catastrophic eruptions versus, um, versus because they're unknowns. And, and I think, um, you know, you, you, you'll never get a, a, a society of, you know, everyone being 100% responsible, but when you can, when there's a when there's an accurate price for irresponsibility, or when there's an accurate price for delegating responsibility, you have a more robust system that isn't prone to blowing up. Um, and and I think that's a big differentiation. Um, and it's part of Bitcoin's voluntary voluntary nature, which I think again is fundamentally important. Like in today's society, we can't fucking choose. You know, we're forced. There is no voluntary option. You're forced to grow up in the country you're born in. You're forced to adopt that fucking currency. You're forced to be that citizen. You can't fucking travel anywhere, you know, you're, or, you know, depending on where you're born, obviously. Um, you know, you're forced to pay taxes. You're forced to participate in inflation. You're forced to put, use, you know, certain banking institutions. Like, it's all forceful. It's not voluntary. And, and that, again, starts to constrict, um, you know, people's ability to be free and therefore it constricts opportunity and therefore, you know, creates morons, which then perpetuates into where we are now, where people are fighting about shit they don't even understand. And I find it interesting um, when you bring up Bitcoin and being able to be still sovereign, some people don't want that, which is mm. that was the most surprising thing to me was I was so excited. I was like, yes, finally a way I can earn money outside of the system. I can use it for what I need. I can, you know, whatever. It's just as fair as it gets. I can look on the blockchain and see every transaction when I feel like it. This is great. Then I tell people, and they're like, well, I, I don't want to hold my own private keys. Can somebody else do it? And I'm like, that's, people have been so forcefully uh, or so used to being forced to do stuff and have been given all these services. They don't even want real freedom or they don't even really want to be sovereign. They, they really want to rely on other people because that's what we've been doing. You get food delivered to you, get your groceries delivered, somebody else, uh, you know, has your water, somebody else builds your house, somebody else fix your car, somebody else does everything for everybody. It's so many things that if you did it yourself and you were actually sovereign, you would see how much better of a system it would be. But we're so used to it. People, they can't even fathom being financially free from a bank, <laughs> which is hilarious because uh, there was a time where banks didn't run the country, uh, you know, before the Federal Reserve. Uh, let's see what. If somebody's over the age of 107, they might remember it. Um, I doubt <laughs> it but nobody remembers a time before that because everybody's dead from before the Federal Reserve. Nobody can describe. But if you look through history, when there was, you know, greenbacks and different currencies going around, that was actually outside of today. That was actually the biggest time for business growth in the black community. So when I tell people that was like in the late 1800s after the Civil War, we were just some slaves that were downtrodden and couldn't do anything. That's when they built uh, Rosewood. That's when they built Black Wall Street in Tulsa. It's when they built in Wilmington. Because when you're left to your own devices and you can just build freely, yeah. you always end up better. And then when you have to force it on the people, 
we get what we have now where people are still asking the government to give us money. And I'm like, what, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and that's that's what we have today, unfortunately. That's a yeah. good point, man. You know, and this digs down to something, you know, even beyond Bitcoin and stuff. And it's that if you allow yourself, if, if you don't deal with fear on the most fundamental levels as a you know human being, you're going to shun freedom and responsibility. And I, I think you know, that's at least a, a part what's at play here is that people are actually, as you say, a, a lot of people, of course, they'll pay lip service to it, but we see by people's actions to what degree of freedom they want. And you'd have to conclude most people do not want it. It's and that and perhaps that's a large reason why we're in the state we're in in many cases and places around the world today, because uh, it's easy to say that, you know, being free is wonderful and that's what people really want. But most people, if you look at their actions, no interest. They want some combination of comfort and security and pleasure and gratification. And even in some cases, you know, um, struggle and pain. But freedom is a little bit too terrifying. Or, or freedom is a little bit too terrifying for people. And I think, you know, um, that that that's definitely oper operating on many different levels today. Hey, Harriet Tubman even said it. It was some people that didn't want to leave the plantation. Even right. if they, wanted to be, they just wouldn't leave. <laughs> so some people want freedom, some people don't. They're willing to work for it. And like you said, there is some fear that is uh, that is associated with it because you don't know, but that's where the fear comes from, not knowing. And then once you can figure it out, get it going, yeah, it's, it's a lot easier, a lot better world in my opinion. And this speaks to the kind of hard, soft thing that we've all addressed in this conversation is that, you know, uh, freedom requires courage to overcome fear, to go into the unknown, to learn new things, to take more responsibility re requires courage. And there's probably a lot of people that that lack that, that la lack the courage, the grit, the toughness that's required to do that. And, you know, uh, we, we're all familiar with that meme of good, you know, good times create weak men, weak men uh, create bad times, bad times create strong men. Of course, you people, women, whatever. But, uh, you know, I think that's uh, there's some truth to that because it, it's yes, the system is rigged against people and it probably exacerbates those those qualities in people. But it's not we can't direct everything outwardly in terms of laying blame. You know, the, there is so much blame to be uh, directed inwardly towards each of us as individuals. And we've got to sort that shit out, if not before, but at least simultaneous as we work towards external solutions, because otherwise, not, ain't nothing going to change. Well, th this, is, this is actually why economics is so important, because, see, again, in, in a system that rewards um, freedom and risk um, and opportunity, something, again, like Bitcoin, um, or you know, free market capitalism, whatever you want to label it as, um, what ends up happening is so. So I, I would argue that people inherently do want freedom, um, and, and I think they all do. But I think it's just been drummed and conditioned out of us. Um, depends what you mean by it. Depends what you mean by wants. How do we assess what somebody wants? Is it their behavior? Is it what they say? I, I think it's more an innate. Um, desire but it's something that um is is buried in layers of um of layers of conditioning that you know whether that conditioning is uh, optimized for for safety for comfort for ease for um you know speed for quickness whatever whatever the whatever the rationale 
around optimizing for something other than freedom is. Um, the, the big one is probably safety. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's the easy one to, um, to invoke on people, you know, because you, you make them fear for, for their life in some way, shape or form, um, you know, that then they're willing to, to, to give up freedom. But, but fundamentally, um, you know, freedom is a, is a core human need. I believe, I think it's a core human driver. Now, what, what you end up having, and this is, again, probably one of the things that's powerful about Bitcoin is you have a system that some of us are going to have a huge advantage over the next decade um, because we're in Bitcoin relatively early. Um, you know, we're, we're going to have a huge economic advantage um, and that economic advantage um, alongside um, alongside the fact that we think a lot deeper about not only you know money, life, economics, etc., um, will give us a then another advantage in terms of productivity, in terms of the way we live together, the way the, the way we interact, and all that sort of stuff. And that is fundamentally that's a that's a pull uh, to to other people um, who. So so you, I, I believe there's these there's sentiments that um that. Uh, act like waves through society. And, and, you know, for the last 50 years, the sentiment has sort of been, you know, about safety and about, you know, protectionism versus this Bitcoin starting a a grassroots movement towards um, the sentiment for freedom um, and for the individual again. And and I think that's going to start to, um, that's going to start to, to take over and gain traction as people see people like Zay, yourself, John, myself, and all these Bitcoiners start to really live a better fucking life. And that's, there's going to be a draw card for that. Um, so anyway, that, that, that's sort of my, my sense around freedom. But um, Zay, I think you've got to jump off soon, bro. So I'll give you the closing words, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just want to encourage uh, anybody watching. And thank you for having me again, John. Good to be with you, Alex. But I just want to encourage anybody watching, uh, you know, find truth for yourself. Uh, Don't listen to the media. Do the opposite. Uh, If you do the opposite of what the media tells you, you'll probably be right about 90% of the time. Uh, Don't get emotional and focus on the economics uh, because if you solve the money, uh, you pretty much solve every problem from that point forward. So let's solve the money. Let's get, you know, the Bitcoin aspect of it going as well as others, but mostly with Bitcoin. And uh, from there, I would just encourage people to think for themselves and uh, strive for real freedom like we've discussed today. Well said, man. Zay, I really appreciate the time uh, and all the work that you're doing. I think it's awesome. And uh, I know we'll speak again in the future, man. Take care. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. Take care, brother. Oh, yeah. I'll see you, Alex. Ciao. Um, Alex, I want to, you got a few more minutes? Yeah, bro. I got a few more minutes. I want to ask you one thing. So, what I, I've been reading, I was late to reading The Sovereign Individual. I'm almost done now. Have you yeah, read the book? Yeah. yeah, I read it about six months ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, interesting book to say the least but one of the you know it does articulate the what they call mega political trend that occur that is occurring in the information age and all the different implications of of how that technology gets integrated and used by culture and individuals and you know one of the things that it predicts um is that you know this will create a lot of disruption for the nation state model and in the kind of uh you know, as it unwinds, I guess, as it becomes more disrupted by, by this technology and the, the, the implications for individuals that it represents, that we will see kind of, you know, it's 
devolution in many forms. And it kind of predicts that we'll see a lot of the this social bifurcation to different groups. And as the, you know, people feel they're disenfranchised, they'll, they'll associate with their groups and they'll make their case for, you know, more rewards from society mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, do you think what we're seeing now, BLM, SJW, generous stuff, you know, pick your, pick your poison is actually a good thing because it may be indicative of the, that change that's occurring? Look, I mean, it's, it's fundamentally not a good thing, but it's just fundamentally part of the process, I guess, you know, so I think, um, have, have you ever read Atlas Shrugged, Ayn Rand stuff? No, I know, I know, I've been recommended many times. Uh, brother, please, man, like that, like if I had to burn every book that I've ever read um, and keep one, it'd be that. Like seriously, and and I, I recommend the audiobook. Like the the narrator that they've got is brilliant. Like I've gone through probably two hundred and fifty audiobooks in the last two three years, and by far um, the narrator on this one is like the man. Like he he holds character across every single character for the entire sixty four hours. Like you you won't be able to put it down. Holy shit! Yeah, but um. Anyway, she she kind of uh, puts uh, into like a you know. A, a fictional narrative um what happens to society as the collectivists take over effectively and everything that's basically written in in the sovereign individual she she wrote it back in the 50s but just in a fictional form um you know and sort of shows how you know different you know factions and different groups fucking try and you know strangle uh struggle for power not based on merit but based on um you know their definition of need um you know and whether that need be know be racial political religious or whatever the case might be and and what she shows in it is um you know the the men of the mind as she calls it so that the, the real producers they escape to a valley um and you know the, there's a there's a guy called john galt who who helps um uh basically who in entices each of the the greater producers to just drop everything and get the fuck out of there and leave to the valley to help perpetuate um you know the the fall of society in on top of itself. So I guess in a sense, um, what you know what Satoshi did, he he chucked John Galt basically. He's he's created a you know a Galt's Gulch, a valley, which is in effect Bitcoin. It's this new land that is you know giving an incentive to people like you and I, like people with a brain, to say I'm getting the fuck out of here and you know going somewhere else and allowing us to basically shelter ourselves. It's the Noah's Ark story. It's, you know, we're, 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 we've built an ark, you know, we're able to sail away as the rest of the ignorant monkeys basically burn themselves to the ground um, naturally. So whilst, so, so, so my answer to your question is um, it's not nice, it's not good, um, but it's just a necessary part of the transformation. Like you, you can't have, um, I think I wrote it in the rise of the individual for the state article that I did um, last year was um, no, there is no such thing as change. That's neat. <laughs> like by definition, change is disruptive for fuck's sake. Like, you know, there, there is no central planner that can make it, you know, like Ray Dalio's proverbial, proverbial smooth landing. Shut the fuck up, man. What, what smooth landing are you talking about? You idiot. Like he, he talks about a paradigm shift in one, um, paragraph and then the next paragraph is talking about a smooth landing it doesn't fucking work like that this, this is not this is not um you know a computer model this is this is real life this isn't a simulation as far as we know um so you know it's as 
as this thing topples under its own weight, um, you know, because the parasites now fundamentally become almost as large as the host, right? <laughs> you know, like the, the host is about to die because the parasite's too big. Um, and the parasite, by definition, can't stop sucking because it, now it's addicted to the, to the food, to the source. Um, it, it's going to fall over under its own weight. We're just lucky enough to have an arc, to have a gulch, gulch like a valley that we can escape to. Um, and that also, in effect, acts as an accelerant for the, for the falling apart of society because the, the people who technically hold this society together, and this is another big lesson in um, Ayn Rand's book, is um, that in our bid to do the right thing, the entrepreneurs, the risk takers, the producers, the people that value in society, we keep the game perpetuating because the leeches, the parasites, the looters, as she calls them, get to feed off us, off our fucking hard work. So now with Bitcoin, we're able to actually opt out of that and then hopefully accelerate the demise of this um, of this decaying um, clusterfuck of a, a, you know system that that we that we currently live in. So. Yeah, I, I don't know if that answers your point. So I don't know if it's a good thing, but I think it's a natural thing and we are probably accelerating it with the advent of Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, no, it, it, it does. I, I agree. You know, it's not, it's not pretty in the moment and, you know, a lot of unfortunate outcomes will, will result from these things. But on a macro, I think it's necessary and it's to be expected. And I think, you know, things are playing out probably, you know, quite in line with, you know, the, um, the Atlas Shrugged or in the Sovereign Individual, I, you know, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll play out somewhat differently. Nobody has a crystal ball, but yep. I think these trends were, were spotted by these people. And it, it seems like, you know, something similar is playing out. Indeed, man. Indeed. I, I think, um, oh man, there's just, there, there's another book that I read called Madness of the Crowds. Um, and it's written by a UK, uh, I think he's a psychologist of some sort. Anyway, he, he was really good. He kind of reminded me of like reading a, a Jordan Peterson book. Um, it was solid. And you know, he, he talks about, you know, how, you know, identity politics has basically, you know, poisoned, um, poisoned not only media, but just general discourse and the, the general mind viruses that have emerged over the last 10 years. Um, and, and these things seem to just, you know, the, the core theme seems to just be victimhood and it just keeps, um, you know, penduluming from, you know, one group to another, to another, to another. Um, and like, again, I, I actually, then this is where I don't believe with the whole, this is where I don't believe in the whole, um, the the entirely centrally planned model of this, like where there's some conspiracy theory behind it all. I actually think a lot of this shit's out of control. <laughs> I think yeah. nobody's got a clue what the fuck's going on, to be honest. Um, you know, and, and look, there might be, you know, like the cancel on effect and all that sort of stuff, you know, obviously exists. Um, you know, and there's some people who are probably benefiting from this, but maybe benefiting on the short term. And, and, you know, I mean, game theoretically, maybe it makes sense for them because they're probably, you know, 55, 60 years old and they know that they can keep leeching off the system for the next 10 years and, you know, if the shit blows up, well, fuck, so be it. Um, you know, they'll take advantage while they still can. Yeah, I tend to think people that see everything as some grand conspiracy, it's just, it's too simple that way. Yeah. You know, everything is so complex and, and you know, much of what 
is going on can be explained like I was referring to earlier by let's look at our own individual behavior. Mm-hmm. All right, time your times your individual behavior, your anger, your waste, your you know whatever 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 everything that you express whether inwardly or outwardly times it by 8 billion. What do you get? You get a lot of like big huge things that provide those things or that leech off those things or that amplify those things. You know, it doesn't have to be guys in a room that are just puppeteering everything. I mean, it's far too complex for that. As you say, people at the top are definitely benefiting, um, you know, um, in an equal way. And once you have a a certain level of power and influence, sure, you can can use that to gain more or to achieve certain ends or to fund this or to do that. But so I'm sure that's a part of it, but far less than, you know, the internet conspiracy theorists might have you believe. Indeed, indeed. It's... um... It's way more, way more chaotic. It's, it's actually, I think, more a function of um, broad incompetence than anything else. Right. <laughs> and, and just malaligned base incentives that just morph into these deformed versions of society, which is where we're living now. Like, fucking hell, talk, talk about, we live in the age of dementia. Not, not, you know, normal dementia, but like everything's demented, like, Shit just doesn't make fucking sense anymore. Yeah, well, hopefully the tide is turning, man. We have this, um, this, as you say, this arc on our side now, and all we need to do is engage in it and uh, tell people about it. And those who who want to get on board can can do so, and those who don't don't have to. So, indeed, um, dude, it's always a pleasure. Any last words before we shut this thing down? Not really, bro. Thank you for having me on. Um, you know, um, I was really like me, me and Zay were actually going to have a chat, but I think, you know, we've covered everything that we needed to cover here. So, you know, that kind of saved it. So I, I actually enjoyed the, I enjoyed the three-way and, you know, you sort of um, facilitating. So, you know, you're actually a fucking one of the best facilitators in this whole space, man. So I appreciate that. Oh, thanks very much, man. Sure. Well, look, uh, I hope everything's going well in your uh, undisclosed location. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll be talking again soon, brother. Take care. Thank you.